How do you pay, man? Huh? If you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. I'm here so I won't get fined. It's my quarterback. Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. We suck. The second half, we suck. And welcome, everybody, to the 1201 Sports Network. I'm your host, Jake Bruyer. This is our second installment of the Weekly Fantasy Primer, where I go through each game in the coming week of NFL action and give you my take on all players worth mentioning. After reviewing the games today, we do have a couple mailbag questions, so thank you so much, guys, for your support there. If you'd like any other questions answered about your team, just shoot those over on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. And while you're at it, if you can, give us a follow on social media. If you can, rate and review the podcast too. Whatever platform you're listening on, you have no idea how much that helps us, and we really appreciate it. So let's start off with Thursday Night Football. You should be listening to this on a Thursday, and it should be coming up pretty soon. We've got Cincinnati at Cleveland. Cleveland is a six-point favorite. Is it weird to say that I'd rather a rookie quarterback on a short week than the established veteran? It's like Baker forgot to stop quarantining. He's been playing so poorly. And he's honestly one of the bigger reasons why Cleveland has taken multiple steps back even with one of the best skill position groupings in the entire NFL. He's completely droppable in one QB leagues, in my opinion. Burrow, he's probably in line for another QB2 type of week, again, as his timing improves, plus he's got the rushing upside. Now, I don't understand why you pay a guy $50 million and then not throw him the ball. On the Bengals' side, Joe Mixon is an absolute stud, but he should be seen more as a low-end RB1 rather than the mid-tier RB1 he truly could be with, like, intelligent coaching. Now, there should be a positive game script today for Nick Chubb. The touches will still be relatively split, but Chubb should outscore Hunt this week due to the game script. Chubb is probably a back-end, mid-to-back-end RB2, while Kareem Hunt is more of a PPR flex option. Now, while Baker is faltering, it's kind of hard to justify starting OBJ and Landry this week. Landry is a little banged up. However, OBJ should regress to the mean sometime soon. He should become more valuable. He's seeing the targets. Once Baker becomes more efficient, OBJ will improve. He's a risky wide receiver two right now, while Landry is likely just a wide receiver three. AJ Green on the other side should be fired up as a low-end wide receiver two guy, and Tyler Boyd is... Likely nothing more than a wide receiver three flex play until his rapport with Burrow improves. Next up, we got the LA Rams at Philly. Last time I checked, this was a pick'em, so this should be a really interesting, really good game. Uh, the Philly, they're getting Lane Johnson back and Miles Sanders back. They were both full participants. Jason Peters was limited. We'll see how that goes. But if all three of those guys are healthy, I don't see any reason why Philly can't run away with this. However, if the offensive line doesn't improve health-wise too much. The Rams will be my bet of the week. Wentz looks awful because he has no time and it hurts the entire wide receiver core. Yet on the other side, you got Goff who he'll kind of just be Jared Goff. He's not going to do too much. He's a low upside, consistent QB2 guy who rarely leaves you breathless with his play. Um, However, with Lane Johnson coming back, I do see Carson Wentz improving. If Miles Sanders does play, which he should, absolutely fire him up. With little time to pass, Sanders could end up being the beneficiary of plenty targets. On the other side, 
Malcolm Brown is currently the back to own in LA. We kind of mentioned him splitting carries with Akers last week, and my stance was Akers will be the guy to own for the future. While I do believe that eventually happens, that day ain't here yet. So Malcolm Brown is probably like a back-end RB2 flex guy just because Akers will eat into his workload. Now, why y'all slept on Robert Woods? Like, dude is a stud, he's an every week starter, and Cup ain't nearly on his level. Cup is unreliable as anything more than a flex, not even a wide receiver three guy, because Robert Woods is the target funnel in this offense. On the other side, keep an eye on Greg Ward. He tied Deshaun Jackson with seven targets in week one. Uh, He's probably not a startable guy right now, but just keep an eye on him, because if those target numbers stay consistent and stay high... Like, he might be a guy to stash on your bench. Now, the real options you want in Philly are the tight ends. Both guys are tight end ones, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Both should be locked into your lineup due to their upside. Next up, we have Carolina at Tampa Bay. Tampa is a nine-point favorite here. Teddy Bridgewater is always, man, he'll, he'll leave you a little to be desired, to be honest. But he's a fine QB2 guy. If you're struggling, you know, they're going to have negative game scripts all the time. So that should be great. If the offensive line could improve on the other side in Tampa, <clears throat> Donovan Smith, then Brady is locked in as a QB1. But until then, I'd only start Tom in the best of matchups due to his risky O-line play. But the good thing is this week, this is a great matchup. Fournette had nine snaps in week one. Nine. I look for this number to improve quite a bit, but currently he's unplayable. Ronald Jones is a low upside flex kind of guy as Fournette continues to work more into a role, but Ronald Jones is the guy to start now. Also, duh, you're starting McCaffrey. Dude, Scotty Miller. Like, there were reports out of camp saying that Tom Brady had a really good rapport with Scotty Miller, but man, I didn't expect him to be this good, you know? Tom loves this dude, and if you're in a deep league, he's definitely worth a flyer. He could probably provide some bye week help. Or if you get some injuries, man, in PPR, like Tom Brady's going to funnel this dude probably 80, 90 targets on the year, and that's valuable. Godwin is, of course, locked in. Now, Michael Evans, on the other hand, is a little more hazy. He struggled with injuries leading up to week one, but he did tough it out. Also, with very little time to pass, Brady couldn't really let him win downfield like he could. It's a bad combo for Evans right now. I see him the same way as Brady. Start him in the better matchups and be questioning him when the going is a little tougher until that offensive line improves. DJ Moore owners, like me, relax. He saw nine targets in week one. His workload is locked in. Now, this is a great time for our first mailbag question. I kind of wanted to throw it in here because it is pertinent to this conversation. Jonah B. from Louisiana asks, Is Robbie Anderson for real in Carolina? And that's really interesting because you look at the target breakdown. DJ Moore led the receivers with nine targets. And Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson were tied with eight, which that's really interesting. And I think all three Carolina wide receivers could end up viable at some point. Anderson did score a long touchdown on a double move in week one, and that's your upside there. Like, I don't think Curtis Samuel comes with that same upside. Anderson is super speedy, and he can win downfield. They've got eight targets each after week one, and the many negative game scripts coming, I think both could be in the flex conversation. But Robbie Anderson is definitely not only above Curtis Samuel there in the flex play conversation. I do think he is the wide receiver too, and I do think he is for real in Carolina. Did Gronk coming back open the door for the O.J. Howard breakout? 
Okay, I might be overreacting a tiny bit because Gronk only got like three targets. And apparently Brady was looking to get him the ball. It's just the Saints were doubling him any chance they got. Gronk did easily outsnap Howard, but Howard did double him up in targets. And it'll be an interesting trend to see down the line. I really wouldn't feel comfortable starting either of them right now. I think Gronk is the guy to own in the future, but just keep an eye on it. Denver at Pittsburgh is next. Pittsburgh is a 7.5-point favorite. Ben is, of course, locked in as a QB1, and Drew Locke shouldn't touch your starting lineup. Now, James Conner wasn't in pads on Wednesday. Be very wary of his status. It's He's got a more frail body type. He can't hold up to that workload that the Pittsburgh Steelers do give to their running backs. On the other hand, Benny Snell is built perfectly for it. He proved once again that the starting running back in Pittsburgh is valuable. Here are the top three rushers in the NFL after week one, okay, based on rushing yards. You got Clyde after that great Thursday game, Derrick Henry on Monday night. Of course, he's going to get all the work. And Benny Snell is third in the NFL right now in rushing yards. If James Conner is out, you can fire up Benny Snell as a really safe RB2 option. With Philip Lindsay likely being sidelined, this opens the door for an increase in Melvin Gordon's work. Game script isn't exactly in his favor this week, but he did lead the backfield in targets week one. We saw in uh, Los Angeles that he could be a pass catching back too. He's also a decent RB2 option this week. I, If you had the choice between the two, I'd probably start Benny Snell though. With Cortland Sutton out, the true wide receiver one, <clears throat> Jacob, Jerry Judy balled out. Now, before you hop in my mentions, yes, he was the wide receiver 46 on the week, but he did get eight targets. That's more than Chris Godwin, Terry McLaurin, Juju Smith-Schuster, Tyreek Hill, and Jarvis Landry, all guys we drafted before Jerry Judy. If Sutton does continue to miss time, Judy's a wide receiver three. He'll continue to work on that rapport with Drew Locke, and he'll only go up from here. Also, Noah Fant breakout? Yes, please, baby. He's a back-end tight end one option. Yes, Juju on the other side did have the two touchdowns. Yes, Juju is still the number one. And yes, you should absolutely start Juju every week. But damn, am I happy to be on the Deontay Johnson bandwagon. Ten targets. Ten targets in week one for Deontay Johnson. In one of the most pass-happy offenses in the league, he is an every-week wide receiver three with plenty of upside. Because as you saw, if one of those touchdowns goes to Deontay Johnson... We're talking completely differently about that receiving core. Atlanta at Dallas. Dallas is a four and a half point favorite. I'm not going to spend much time here because I'm already running a little long. Start your Falcons, guys. Start your Cowboys. That's Matt Ryan, Dak, Zeke, Todd Gurley, Julio, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper. Start them all. Quickly on Atlanta, Russell Gage will be a deep league flex play at times, especially in shootouts. And spoiler alert, this is a shootout. Now, monitor the Dallas wide receiver two position. However, with Blake Jarwin going out, likely out for the year at the tight end, it should open up for both Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb to be viable. Gallup is my answer for now as the wide receiver two due to him playing 96% of snaps. However, when Lamb Lamb is on the field a ton, probably playing around 80 to 81%, and he will threaten his workload each week. Next up, we got San Fran at New York the Jets. San Fran is a seven-point favorite here, and this game sounds awful because Jimmy G and Sammy D, they ain't it. If you got to start one of them, Jimmy G is, I guess, a nice QB2 guy in Superflex, but 
Sam Darnold, man, his time might be coming to an end. And as a self-proclaimed Sam Darnold, like, guy, like, I really liked him coming out of college, man, he just has not progressed. He has not improved anywhere. And as a also self-proclaimed Josh Allen hater, I'd probably rather have Josh Allen than Sam Darnold, both in fantasy and in real football right now. Josh Allen, again, he's not making many of those strides either, but he can at least be a playmaker. All right, I'll get off of that. Raheem Mostert might have only played 60% of snaps this past week, but he dominated the backfield in touches. He was an insane value in drafts if he is the workhorse, and right now he absolutely is. He won't score a 70-yard receiving touchdown every week, but he's got that upside too in that really, really efficient offense. Jamison Crowder for the Jets could legit see like 4,000 targets this year. Um, This team absolutely sucks, and he is a PPR monster. And also, Chris Herndon could be a sneaky tight end play in good matchups because he is the number two option in that passing game. The 49ers are cautiously optimistic that Kittle will play in week two. He likely won't practice all week. That means he ain't playing, guys. That's the way I look at it. I would find someone else, but start him if he does play. You know, you He's, you dra- he's a guy you drafted in like the second, third round. You got to start him if he's playing, but be very wary and have a backup plan. Buffalo at Miami. Buffalo is a five and a half point favorite, and this is a really good matchup for Josh Allen, who proved last week that being a good NFL quarterback is not the same thing as a good fantasy quarterback. And he was the QB three in fantasy last week, so take that as how you will. Uh, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are splitting carries and targets. Both are risky, and until one wins out, I honestly wouldn't play either one. Stefan Diggs did see some good volume in week one, but you know who else did? John freaking Brown. He's one of the most underrated wide receivers in the game. Brown is a possible flex option each week. Stefan Diggs is probably more of a locked-in flex type who's going to have really inconsistent weeks due to Josh Allen. Devontae Parker left early last week. He's still kind of banged up. If he does play, it should take some of the attention away from the other options. I mean, but Preston Williams is my boy, so I will stand him forever. He is absolutely a flex play for me. Minnesota at Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a three-point favorite, and that is stupid. I'm smashing the Minnesota button here. Phillip Rivers is washed. He's permanently trash. Like, if he is anywhere near your fantasy team, drop him like he's hot. Now, this might not be the best Kirk Cousins game, Uh, He did put up numbers in garbage time last week. I look for Minnesota to kind of control this one. Cousins is probably a low-end QB, too. They'll probably rely more on the running game, which leads me to Dalvin Cook. Duh, you're starting him. On the other side, it really sucks that Marlon Mack had to get hurt for Frank Reich to make the right decision. You don't spend a top 40 pick on a guy and then put him third on the depth chart and only play, play him when the starter pops his Achilles. It is absolutely stupid. I used to have so much respect for Frank Reich, but if they couldn't see that Jonathan Taylor was the better running back out of the three that they had, like, that's just stupid. Jonathan Taylor moving forward is a locked and loaded low-end RB1 every single week because he will get all of the rushing work, or most of the rushing work. And, as you'll see, with Phillip Rivers being trash, he loves to dump it down to running backs. He got six targets last week, converted all of them into catches. Jonathan Taylor is a beast moving forward. And Naheem Hines could also be viable with a spotty play, basically, in PPR. 
Uh, Adam Thielen is an absolute machine and also one of my biggest draft misses this year. He's absolutely primed for a great year. He'll see a ton of targets. Also, Paris Campbell breakout party. Like, the Colts always loved him, and it looks like washed-up Rivers finally likes him him too. But the Paris Campbell breakout has started. Detroit at Green Bay. Green Bay is a six-point favorite this week. Is Aaron Rodgers back? Dude played really, really, really well last week and showed why he was once considered the best in the game. Matthew Stafford was very spotty in week one and could be in for another rough time due to the better pass rushing ability of the Packers. Aaron Jones is a locked-in RB1 each week, and this isn't a hot take, folks. Devontae Adams is the wide receiver one moving forward. Everyone else on that offense, I'm kind of bleh about. On the other side, Quintez Cephas did see the most targets in week one. He's a rookie out of uh, Wisconsin, but that's because Kenny Galladay was out. You know, he was occupying that role. If Kenny Galladay does return, Cephas does become obsolete, so do be warned. Also, Marvin Jones is really consistent, a really consistent floor play. He won't give you much upside, but he does have that consistent flex-type floor. And TJ Hawkinson could be very well on the way to a breakout. For running backs in Detroit, man, the DeAndre Swift game-winning touchdown pass drop was a killer. He's still the back-to-own in Detroit even though he'll likely never live down that drop. The New York Giants at Chicago. Chicago is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Is Mitch Trubisky back? Okay, no. But don't bother him. Like, it was in garbage time, a complete fluke. He was absolutely awful before he turned into God mode, you know. And Daniel Jones on the other side is much more reasonable as a super flex play because he's got good legs. Now, don't freak out about Barkley. He's getting the volume. He'll bounce back, but just saying, I might have been right about Nate Solder's absence affecting the run game. Just saying. David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen are both relegated to the kind of flex zone this week. Montgomery should be the more valuable back this week because of the positive game script that should be coming his way. Allen Robinson did talk about getting traded, but now he's committed back to the team. We'll see how that goes. The squeaky wheel always gets the oil. He dominated target share in week one. I look for him to dominate it even more. He's a stud wide receiver one. And also keep Anthony Miller on your bench for now. But if he does continue to see the work that he did, he's a sneaky flex guy. Evan Ingram's always going to get his for the Giants. Darius Slayton won week one out of this loaded wide receiver core. Now how much of that had to do with Golden Tate being out? We'll find out whenever he does return. Jacksonville at Tennessee. Tennessee is an eight and a half point favorite. And if you check out my latest streaming defenses article on yards per fantasy, Tennessee was basically my defense to own this week. It's a perfect over under spot. Tennessee is an eight and a half point favorite. Everything spells great for them. Jacksonville low key sucks. That's why. Now Minshew is a fine super flex play, and I do expect DJ Chark's volume to increase. But other than that, man, why am I going to play James Robinson? Because he's getting 15, 16 carries for 40 yards. Like, cool. He saw all the rushing work. It's not good work. If the volume sucks, I'm going to look elsewhere. Now, Tennessee is actually pretty straightforward. Tannehill is always going to be a super flex guy because he can run. Derrick Henry will win the rushing title, so he's always an RB1. A.J. Brown is amazing, really hyper-efficient. But I do got to throw in a mention for my boy Johnny Smith. He's my most owned tight end across leagues this year, and I'm absolutely thrilled to see him go off in week one. He could become a consistent tight end one every week. 
Washington at Arizona. Arizona is a six and a half point favorite. Another huge swing and miss for me in drafts was DeAndre Hopkins. My gosh, I was wrong. <laughs> 16 targets in week one is absolutely incredible. He's locked in as a top five wide receiver every single week. Now, Kenyon Drake did double up Chase Edmonds in snaps, but Edmonds did out-target Kenyon Drake 5-2. to two. Kenyon Drake is probably more of an RB2 now, especially if he doesn't consistently see that passing work. I think it'll come to him soon, but we'll see. Now, the volume is there for Terry McLaurin on the other side. Just trust that the numbers will also come. And also, like if your tight end sucks or your tight end got hurt, go pick up Logan Thomas, the tight end for Washington. He'll most likely be available on your waiver wires. It's really not a bad idea to go pick him up because he will see work. And now you know 2020 is weird when J.D. McKissick outsnaps and out-targets Antonio Gibson. This team is weird. They're trash, and that's not a great sign at all for Gibson. Baltimore at Houston is next. Baltimore is a seven-point favorite. And you start everybody. I'm talking Lamar, Deshaun, David Johnson, who did look great, by the way. Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Will Fuller while he's still healthy. Everybody's putting up numbers. For the Baltimore backfield, Ingram did see a good bit of volume, but Dobbins got the high leverage work at the goal line and got the touchdowns. Dobbins is obviously the guy to own moving forward, but neither is really all that reliable enough to want to play. Hold on to both of them, though. Dobbins could be a league winner towards the end of the year. Kansas City at the LA Chargers. Kansas City is an 8.5 point favorite. This one is going to get ugly. Of course, you're starting Mahomes, Clyde, Tyreek, and Kelsey, but it seems like Sammy Watkins might be getting consistent, guys. The report does say his mental health is in a great spot, and I'm really happy to hear that. He's a former top five pick. He could be on the rise every week now as a wide receiver three slash flex play, even though he's their third or fourth option. The Chargers players are all nearly unstartable. I mean, you want me to tell you Tyrod is good? Because I won't. Because he's not. Like, yeah, Austin Eckler is likely the only guy I'm playing, but even Tyrod brought him down to earth from a locked-in RB1 to a mid-level RB2. Like, if Tyrod's not going to use his best weapon on that offense, like, what are we doing here? This team needs better quarterback play, and I'm afraid it's not on the roster right now with either him or Justin Herbert. <laughs> LOL. And this team thought that Tyrod was better than Cam Newton. Speaking of Cam Newton, we're moving on to New England at Seattle. Seattle is a four-point favorite. Now, New England isn't exactly an offense to target in fantasy, but Cam is a QB2 pretty much every week due to his rushing upside. Julian Edelman seems to be locked in for another 100 targets this year, so he's probably a decent wide receiver three kind of guy, but other than that, guys, it's it's pretty ugly. All of Seattle and the world rejoice. Russell Wilson is finally cooking. As long as they continue to let him work, this team will win the division, and they will win the NFC. Book it. You heard it here first. Seattle is unstoppable when they unleash their best player. Russell Wilson is the number two quarterback in the NFL, only behind Patrick Mahomes, guys. Get it in your heads. If they let him continue to throw the ball 30, 35 times each game, they will win the NFC. And that means you can start up Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf as wide receiver twos, and Chris Carson is going to be a decent RB2 option every single week. Finally, Monday Night Football, New Orleans at Las Vegas. New Orleans is a six-point favorite. Now, New Orleans will be out without Michael Thomas on Monday night, which leads me to believe Alvin Kamara could have like 30 touches. 
But don't fret, the Saints actually do have a living, breathing wide receiver, too, that can play. Emmanuel Sanders should see pretty good volume with Michael Thomas out. He's a really good player. And also Jared Cook, like, Jared Cook is a consistent tight end one now, especially with Michael Thomas not playing. Drew Brees loves him, and he's really good in this really good offense. On the other side, man, Las Vegas ain't it. But fantasy-wise, it's kind of decent. If Josh Jacobs does continue this type of target share that he got, he'll be a top five RB by year's end. You've got a stud on your hands. Also, Darren Waller is awesome per usual. He's going to get the work. And Henry Ruggs led the wide receivers in targets. Maybe now all those analytical people on Twitter will realize that a third rounder who isn't nearly as talented won't outproduce the first rounder who can run a 4-2 in the 40. Yeah, I'm salty, but I'm right. Anyway, that's it for the games, guys. We'll move to the mailbag real quickly. Jonah B. from Louisiana with his second question. David Montgomery or Antonio Gibson this week? Look, until Antonio Gibson gets the touches and targets that he deserves, the answer will always be not Gibson, especially this week with David Montgomery likely seeing more positive game script. And we also got a Kyle P. from Parts Unknown who asks, Why does the NFL hate America? Because they chose Dallas as their team. Like, maybe if America chose a good team, like Kansas City or even New Orleans, maybe the NFL would like America then. And that'll wrap it, guys. Let us know what you think of the primer. Whatever your take is, good or bad, please be sure to let us know on social media or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for all of our other shows coming out the rest of the week. We've got shows for days to fuel your car rides to and from work or on your lunch break, which is when you'll likely see this one come up. Have a great day. And always remember, guys, even when we're wrong, we're always right.